Hello. The winner is. Oh, well, sorry, I didn't win it, Mr. Lemley. I know no one else I'd rather have beat me than you. I am the most frantically sought person in Cinema Land. I, Oscar, the Academy Award. I think I should tell you that there is in existence a letter. What does it mean? That's for you to say, Leslie. But I didn't write it. I swear I didn't write it. It's difficult to prove that. Howard. Hello, and welcome back to The Snob Club, the podcast where we talk about the movie that got the most Oscar noms, but absolutely no wins. I am your host, Danny Vincent. I have two other hosts with me. Who are they? Yeah, I'm your other host, or I did this last last time. I'm your second host, Sarah Knopf. <laughs> and I'm Caleb, the one everyone forgets about. Well, first, let's talk about what we're talking about this week. Then I want to talk about, of course, the ceremony again, because I think talking about the ceremony is a little fun. Uh, but this week, we discuss a film. But at the 13th Academy Awards, unlucky, ooh, there was a film that got 11 nominations called Rebecca. It won two, Outstanding Production and Cinematography for Black and White Feature. Another film got seven nominations, The Grapes of Wrath, which won Best Director for John Ford and Best Supporting Actress for Jane Darwell. However, there was another film that got seven nominations and won absolutely nothing, and that is The Letter. Now, Sarah, what was The Letter nominated for? And more importantly, what did it lose for? Yeah, so The Letter, as you said, seven nominations. Um, It was nominated for Best Picture and lost to Rebecca. Uh, Best Director for William Wyler, who lost to John Ford for Grace of Wrath. Um, we've seen William Wyler before. Uh, he's been nominated. He was nominated eleven more times for directing and producing, and he won three times, plus an honorary honorary award. Um, Best Actress for Betty Davis, who lost to Ginger Rogers and Kitty Foyle. Who'd she play? Who did Kitty Ginger F- Rogers play? She yeah, played Kitty Foyle. What? <laughs> <laughs> And Betty Davis was nominated nine more times, and she won for Dangerous and Jezebel. Um, Best Supporting Actor for James Stevenson, uh, who lost to Walter Brennan in The Westerner. Best Cinematography, Black and White, uh, for Tony Gaudio, uh, who lost to George George Barnes for Rebecca. And Gaudio was nominated four more times and won for Anthony Adverse. Best Editing for Warren Lowe, who lost to Ann Bauschens for Northwest Mounted Police, and Lowe was nominated three more times. And Best Original Score for Max Steiner, who lost to Lee Harline, Paul Smith, and Ned Washington for Pinocchio. And Steiner was nominated 16 more times and won oh, three. It's the cartoon Pinocchio. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Caleb, do you have any historic context for us before we start talking about the ceremony? I don't. 1940 is, when you look up anything about history, it's mainly just Dunkirk and and the Warsaw Ghetto and all the fun uh, World War II stuff. So not much to talk about here. Dunkirk won a few Oscars, so it doesn't qualify for this podcast. uh, Yeah, unfortunately, I'm not allowed to talk about the historical event because of Christopher Nolan. (laughs) (laughs) I do have some, uh, some fun... Uh, context about Betty Davis, but we will get to that later um, in our podcast because it's it hasn't be happened back at yet. some point. Yeah, yeah, it, um, it hasn't happened yet. But all a right. little tease for you. So let's talk about the ceremony first because I like doing that. 
Um, so if you remember last time, we mentioned that there was a big controversy in the previous year about the numbers, like the winners leaking. So this was the first year that sealed envelopes were used to keep the winners secret, which led to the famous phrase, may I have that envelope, please? Not that envelope, the envelope, please, please. Uh, this was the first time it was officially best original screenplay and best screenplay, which is adapted for whatever, you know, I don't know why it's just best screenplay. I don't have the adapted yet. Um, David O. Selznick was the first person to produce two consecutive winners of Best Picture because uh, he produced Rebecca. Uh, this was the last time a film would win Best Picture, but not win a directing, acting, or writing award along with it. Because it only won picture in cinematography, Rebecca. And this was the closest Alfred Hitchcock ever got to winning an Oscar. This is the only film he did that won Best Picture, yes. Um, which is kind of crazy it was so early in his career, if you think about it. It's his first American film. Oh, I didn't even know that. Or it was his first. Uh, that film's distributor, United Artists, was the last of the original film studios to win the Best Picture Oscar. Whatever that means. Oh, excuse me. Of the everyone else had won up to that point. Besides United Artists, this was the one that allowed them to finally get it. Um, do do do. Two other. Ooh, this is interesting. This year had three, two. Excuse me, three directors that had two nominations each for Best Picture. Those were Alfred Hitchcock with Rebecca and Foreign Correspondent, Sam Wood with Our Town and Kitty Foyle, and John Ford with The Long Voyage Home and The Grapes of Wrath. Um, Pinocchio, as I mentioned earlier, was the first animated film to take home an Oscar that was competitive because it won both score and original song. Um, kind of makes sense that the first animated film to win original song is uh, When You Wish Upon a Star, honestly. That, that makes a lot of sense. Um, but yeah, The Thief of Baghdad was won three Oscars, which was the most that won that night. Um... And that made it the first time a film that wasn't nominated for Best Picture won the most awards. And with that and Pinocchio, they're the first movies to not be nominated for Best Picture to win multiple awards. And the other big thing, according to Wikipedia about this Oscars, was this was the first Oscars that um, the president <laughs> participated in them. <laughs> FDR gave a radio address from the attendees to the White House that was six minutes long. So good for you, FDR, on supporting the arts. Uh, be careful there. He supported uh, Affairs of Cellini. <laughs> and this was Frank Capra's last year being president. Because I know I know Betty Davis took over in 41. I wasn't sure if there was someone in between them. Uh, I It's hard. The wiki never really says who the president was at the time of the thing. So I'm not going to say for sure. But sure, why not? <laughs> Good job, Frank. <laughs> um, okay, so let's talk about yeah, let's talk about the letter. What were your guys' thoughts on the film? Like, did you like it? Did you hate it? Did you have the takes? I have a take, but I'm trying to be nice and let one of you guys go first. Is it the worst thing we've watched? No. <laughs> Is it? I just, honestly, like, I think it's just one of those things where, like, I just wasn't, I just wasn't in the mindset for it. It's very, very slow-paced. And I think that's not necessarily a bad thing, but for me, hard for me to kind of latch onto it. Um, there were certain portrayals in the movie that 
were a little questionable, um, which we'll get to. <laughs> Overall, I mean, it was fine. It was fine. Yeah. Uh, K- Caleb, do you want to go? So, I, I'm kind of curious what you think, Danny, before I say my thoughts. I would compare this movie to Morocco in the sense that I thought the first third was very interesting. The second act wasn't as into it, but I still thought it was solid. And then the movie goes on for about 30 minutes longer than it should <laughs> after that. And I'm just kind of like, all right, like I, I understand that the Hayes code requires this woman to get a comeuppance, but I'm okay with this ending here, but we got ooh, 20 more minutes in this. Uh, all right. You know, that, that's kind of what I felt on it. Um, I really like the beginning, though, with uh, Bette Davis's huge monologue. So, Betty Davis. Yeah. Caleb, what do you think of the film? <laughs> I think despite um, some major uh, racism towards the uh, Asian characters, which I'm sure we'll get into, um, and is kind of at the heart of the film, so you have to mention it, uh, I think this is a very good film. Um, it is very much three different types of films like Danny was kind of alluding to, but I enjoyed all of them. Um, and I think mainly part of that's because Weiler is a good director and he is doing things with the camera and with the lighting that blow what, you know, other things we've seen out of the water, like, uh, like last week's, well, we should give some credit to Tony Gaudio. Yeah. 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 The, the, yeah. Cinematographer, the, yeah. Um, and, of course, the other thing that really sells this is Betty Davis, who is amazing. I now understand the song uh, Betty Davis Eyes because, oh my word, every look she gives towards the camera is extremely powerful and like just it, automatically iconic. I hate using that word, but every time she just like stares at one of the characters or one of the one of the or at the camera, it's just like, oh my word, this is. This is very striking. Yeah, I'd agree there. Yeah. Um, she's really good in this. Um, all right. Well, that's interesting because I feel like we all are kind of in a different that plane of existence, to like on a different like opinion of this movie, which I think is fun. Um, all right. So I think we should probably tackle what you both we all kind of alluded to uh, because it's kind of the first shot of the movie. <laughs> I, I assume that's what Sarah's alluding to. Uh on tops of questionable portrayals. Should we just lay out what the movie is? Yeah, first? I guess. Yeah. I have the DV- oh, wait. Can we play my game first and just get it out of the way? Sure. Yeah. So I I checked out the DVD from the library. And it had one trailer on it for an upcoming theatrical release. I want you guys to guess the trailer. I will give a hint. Because obviously, you guessing just a random movie from the 2000s is not going to work, right? Like, that's that's not going to happen. It is a Martin Scorsese film that won Oscars. Or at least one Oscar. I'm not sure how many Oscars it won. So, what do you guys think my trailer was on the DVD? The Departed? Sarah, is that your guess too? Do you think I know anything about Martin Scorsese films? I, I don't know. It is a well, it's a well-known film. So The Departed is a good guess, but there are other well-known films. If you want to take a Gangs gander. of New York. Y'all. Okay. That was going to be my second one. Uh, fun fact, Gangs of New York 
qualifies for this podcast. Uh, the Aviator was the one. Sorry, guys. You both oh. missed it. The Aviator was the upcoming theatrical release by Martin Scorsese uh, on this old DVD I got from the library. I don't know. I thought that was interesting. Like, <laughs> how often does a DVD have one trailer on it and it's the Aviator? It's very weird. Yeah. For, uh, for not, an old movie. Yeah, like if Catherine Hepburn was in this movie, maybe I'd get it. <laughs> but, like, she's not, so... <laughs> but, yeah. So, the movie, The Letter. Dun, dun, dun. It opens with, as all great movies should, a woman shooting her, a, a man on the doorsteps of her house. The plot is that Bette Midler um, plays Leslie, <laughs> who is the no, no, wife no, no. of a... Not Bette Midler, Betty Davis. <laughs> I keep doing me. this. Why do I me. keep doing I keep this? Messing you up. <laughs> Star Hocus Pocus by Hitler. Hocus Pocus Davis podcast. Wish. I'm gonna give Bet Midler the Oscar at the end of this episode. Uh, Betty Davis um, is the wife of a plantation owner in Singapore. And the beginning of the movie, as Danny mentioned, she shoots um, another, she shoots a man, and the people are like, why'd you do this? And she's like, oh, he was trying to come on to me, and I didn't know what to do. Um, But then you find out that there is a titular letter, which kind of proves that she is, um, she was trying, that she was in a relationship with this guy, and that her story doesn't add up. So the second act is about her lawyer trying to secure the letter from the man's widow, who is a um, who's a native woman there, and uh, not played by a native woman, played by a woman from Minnesota, but we'll get to that. Um, and then they get the letter, Betty Davis gets off scot-free, and then um, there's marital troubles in the third act, and she ends up getting her Hayes Code-appointed comeuppance. Bwomp, bwomp, bwomp. All right, so that's the letter. Great movie, great time. And the movie begins with the awesome death of Beth Davis running out of a house with a gun and gunshots. It's great. It's this it's this one shot that goes from like a tree dripping rubber and it kind of pans around like the bungalows where the where the plantation workers are to the front house or to the front porch of the main house and the guy runs out and then Bet, Betty Davis comes out and shoots him and it's really cool and right when she shoots him it has like five hard cuts it's a really good scene There's two dogs Two dogs, <laughs> two dogs four daughters What's this podcast? <laughs> <laughs> yeah so I don't know that happens it's it's cool it's re- I agree it's well done I don't have much to say beyond that um but then uh her husband comes with the attorney and a police inspector uh and that's when we get my favorite part of the movie which is Betty Davis's monologue where they're like well it's not really a monologue it's a questioning but Let's be real. If I wanted to take it and cut out the like questioning from the police officer, I could easily make it a monologue, that type of thing. Um, where she recounts the story of why she killed this man, and it's because she wanted he wanted to make love to her, and he she kept saying no, and he barged in, and so she killed him to save her honor. Um, very riveting stuff. Great acting by Betty Davis. 
and great acting, in my opinion, by the other Academy Award nominee of this film, James Stevenson, who doesn't believe her story, or at least wants to question it as much as he can. Which, to be fair, is, you know, he is playing her attorney, so he wants to make sure that he has all the loose ends figured out. Yeah, and I, I, yeah, I don't, again, I don't know. This is a movie that to me is kind of straightforward in a way. So that's some kind of like, yeah, it's good. Like, that's really all I can say about it. Like, this thing was good. I can't really, um, I thought her delivery was great. Um, I was really into it. It was just, it was good. Like, I don't, I don't know what else to add to it. <laughs> um, so that happens. So that happened. Um, and, so the officer's like, well, you have to go to jail. That's kind of the way things are. Like, you got to go to jail. You got to go on trial. Even though, you know, he killed in self-defense, you still got to go on trial. It's just the law of the land. Um, so. Which is probably the first time that people would kind of start questioning her story. Like, you kind of, you kind of start questioning it because, like, if she did just tell the truth, then there's not going to be a plot here. But this is the first time where the character kind of starts to let slip that she's a little bit more worried about um, getting caught and punished than yeah. she should be. Um, so she goes to jail. Dun, dun, dun. And we see the lawyer, Howard, um, saying to her husband, who's just like, oh, I've never been separated from her for this long. It's been a week. Uh. And he's like, don't worry about it. I'll get her out in a jiffy. So, um, so he dismisses him from the thing, the th- his office, the, I don't know the thing, um, from his office. And, um, then, um, his, well, it's weird to me because Wiki tells me this is his clerk, but yes. I thought it, it, it is his clerk because I was getting the impression like he was a rival. No, because he works in the, in the office. Because he lets he lets them in to the office. Oh, Howard! Yeah, Howard has a line about how he's ambitious enough to become oh, okay. his rival. Um, but I think there's a little bit of like segregation illusions there, where he's like he can become my rival for the Singapore population, but he couldn't replace me with the white population. Mm-hmm. Yeah, something like that. The character um, is uh, what's his name? Ong. I don't know what his full name is, but... Ong Shi Sang. Yeah, Ong. Uh, so, Ong brings in a letter. Dun-dun-dun! The letter says in it that Leslie wanted Hammond to come visit on that day. That's all we're told at this moment. Um, he doesn't read the letter till the next scene where he talks to Betty Davis. Um, but it's like... You said in your story that he barged in. If you invited him there, he can't have barged in because, I mean, technically he could have. But, you know, like, the implication is is that you wanted him there. Um, and the fact is, if you killed him and you invited him there, that's kind of it's kind of on you if he barged in. Like, you know, that's what the politics of the day are. Well, and she would be exp- yeah, explicitly true, yes. lying yeah, exactly. in her that's, statement. That's boring, really. It's the lying. Um which to me, I will say that this movie reminded me of the one time I learned about the British court system, um, which might not be accurate, but I saw a movie once called Denial. 
I don't know if I you remember it. It's a movie about Holocaust denial and the case in it. And I remembered watching this movie that in that movie, they make it explicit that in court cases in Britain, it's you're guilty until proven innocent. Now, I'm not sure how accurate that is. I'm but gonna, I was I'm thinking that when I was watching my, I'm going to ask my source real quick. <laughs> <laughs> but in that movie, in that, in that movie, um, in that movie, uh, it's like the guy who is making Holocaust denials accuses a Jewish woman of slandering him by calling him like a liar. And they're like, well, then you got to prove the Holocaust exists because you're guilty until proven innocent. And it's, it's actually was a solid movie. Uh, it's weird that to now this is the first time for brought up since I've seen it five years ago, uh, but but that's what I was thinking. Is I'm like, ooh, like that might be why because if she's even a little sus, they gotta hang her. While we get uh, while we wait for word from across <laughs> the pond, I would like to, um, I would like to talk about um, Ong a bit more because. We briefly see um, Mrs. Hammond, the widow of the deceased, um, but Ong is kind of the first main Asian character that we spend time with, and he's honestly kind of the only one. Yeah, but on paper, he's he's a little seedy, but he's not not outright offensive, I'd say. But I think you can tell by the way that he's being played what this movie's um, approach to their Asian characters is before uh, we get more exposure. Because his posture is completely different from um, the rest of the characters. He's much more in... um, a bit more... He he appears to be a bit more conniving, um, which is partly plot justified but i think is also playing into stereotypes about uh asian people i would say um the extras in this movie very much play into stereotypes to me uh, yeah that's why i was gonna say when i was like at the beginning i was like let's talk at the beginning because it's kind of the first thing you see in the movie first thing you see in the movie isn't uh betty davis murdering someone it's the like plantation workers kind of doing their thing and it immediately, I don't know why, it immediately rubbed me the wrong way. Maybe it's because I, I didn't, I, you know, all the DVD case and the letterbox page for this movie says, Bette Davis murders someone. Betty Davis murders someone. But then a letter comes up that could be incriminating to her. And I go, ooh, that sounds interesting. And then I immediately open with plantations. And I'm like, uh, all right. <laughs> um, so I have a, I have word back from our source, by the is, way. Is it Danny's wrong? <laughs> He's terrible. <laughs> it says... No, I think that was a myth that went around for a wee bit. In specific circumstances, yes, but not in every case. Uh, well, I so, guess denial a was a specific. <laughs> Deni- the movie Denial uh, with either Kira Knightley or Natalie Portman. I can't remember which one. I don't, why was small. this brought up again? It was Rachel Why was Wise. this brought up again? <laughs> it was definitely Wait, Rachel what? Wise. <laughs> Well, you know, those things are kind of interchangeable in the movies they do when it's not like an auteur. Uh, well, Timothy Small's in it, and it's it's solid, and it lied to me. I guess it's a specific case. It's, I'm going to deny this conversation ever happened. 
<laughs> the only time it's ever relevant on this. Honestly, the only time it's ever been relevant in my life. Um, anyway, back to, back to Ong. Um, so, Ong gives him a copy of, Hammond a copy of the letter, which he takes to Leslie to ask about. Um, and Leslie, I can't remember, she denies it, but I can't remember specifically how she denies it. She's like, oh yeah, I wrote a letter, but... It only said this. What did it say? What'd she say? It said She comes up she comes up with a story oh, yeah. about how she was asking wanted to ask him his advice on purchasing a gun for her husband, but that lie quickly falls apart. Yeah, because the letter outright says like uh, it's it's a little juicy love letter. Mm. Um, my husband's gonna be away. Please come. You know. Sizzle sizzle. Ooh. And she's like, oh, please don't tell my husband, please. And she also correctly deduces that if they're showing her the letter, they must want her to buy it off of them. Um, Because otherwise, why would they be showing this thing that would incriminate her immediately unless they want her to not be incriminated? Um, Which, now that I'm thinking about it, um, I don't think the ending of this... Uh, all these movies that have endings that are clearly, like, there because yeah. of the hates code, none of them really make much sense. I was just sense. thinking that. I was just thinking that. <laughs> I will argue... I will argue at the end why this one is slightly better. But, yes, you are right. Well, because the thing is, is, like, they already get their revenge in this movie. It would have been so much easier if they just presented the letter in court and been like, she did it. <laughs> Well, well, yeah, yeah, they, they want the money too. That's the yeah. thing; is they want the money. Yeah, they ask for ten thousand dollars. I would say to the highest code people that taking because we're told that they're like have their total bank account is about ten thousand dollars, ten thousand three hundred dollars. I would argue that taking all the three hundred dollars from your bank account is punishment. That is karma. It might not be, it's not specifically for her though, because I think that might be it. Like, they want karma for her husband too. It's not fair that her husband has to get taken down with her, so that's why she gotta die. Um, but still, $10,000. So she loses all her money except for $300. Her family does. Getting ahead though, of course. Um, so anyway, so Howard goes back to Ong and is like, so... Uh, he does say at one point, he says, you can go to the devil, they can tell this person to go to the devil, which I liked. Um, it's a nice turn of phrase. Yeah, well, it's because I figured go to hell is like blasphemy and like the haze cope, but go to the devil, like, eh, sure, we'll allow it, sure. <laughs> well, also, if you just get sent to hell, you'll probably get like stuck with like a third rate demon, but he wants the devil. to make sure they go straight to the source. That's true. Um, so Ong is like, it'd be a shame if the prosecution got a hand of this, but uh, Hammond's wife, Widow, wants $10,000 for it, and Ong's gonna get $2,000, which I think is a pretty good deal for Ong. Yeah. <laughs> good for him. Uh, <laughs> Ong's a secret MVP, and the... He's like, $10,000, that's a lot of money. And they're like, well, as I said, $10,000 is pretty much almost all their money. But of course, as his lawyer, as her lawyer, she, he has to agree to it, even though he says that he's an honest lawyer and he feels really bad about it. 
Um, and you can tell he feels bad about it. It's it's well acted. It's it it, it, it feels legit. So then um, Howard. Uh, oh, actually, yeah, yeah. So then Howard does that, all that jazz. And uh, are are you getting ready to talk about the scene where they hand over the money and no. they get the letter? Because no. I have to talk to that's the husband scene. first. Yeah, that's what we gotta get to first. The scene about with the husband. Because of course they have a joint well, bank account in 1940. Are you crazy? <laughs> I'd be surprised if they didn't. <laughs> like, you know, like, I'd be really shocked if they didn't have a joint bank account. <laughs> I think that's what she was getting to, Dad. <laughs> um, and Howard's... So, Howard tells Bobby, her husband, uh, hey, there's this letter that says that she invited her over him over to discuss a birthday present for you, a Christmas present for you. Um, so can we buy it? And of course, and Howard's like, well, it's not gonna, uh, Robert's like, it's not gonna hurt my wife. So like, who cares? You know, like it doesn't really matter. Um, but he's like, uh, well, you know, uh, this could put in a lot of doubt in your, wife's uh, capability. They'll see her as, ooh, she invited another man over when their husband wasn't there. That could be viewed as poorly. And Howard's like, mm, yeah, right, okay, so you can buy the letter. Uh, and Howard never really says how much it costs, but whatever. Whatever. Yeah, whatever. Caleb, you can continue. I'm, I'm getting tired of summing it up. Caleb, Caleb go! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, well, and like you said, a lot of these scenes are very straightforward, and so I don't think we have to spend a ton of time talking on them. The exception to that, I think, is the kind of the center point of the movie where they go and they make the handover to get the letter back, which is where we get we get Ong, of course. He leads them there. We also get, um, was Chun-Hee the name of the character who is one of the in-between people? Uh, let's check. Chunky, yeah. Um, and then, of course, there is Mrs. Hammond, um, who, as we previously established, is, um, a, a, a white woman posing as a, um, an Asian woman, or Eurasian specifically, but made up very much to look like an Asian it woman. It really makes... You know, now that I, because honestly, I didn't know that. I didn't look that up. I don't. Um, now you're saying it makes a lot of sense. But okay, let me rephrase. The way she looks, you tell me she's in yellow face. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, but it makes no sense to me why this isn't just an Asian actress because this movie has so many Asian actors in it. Like, and she doesn't have lines. She never has dialogue in this movie. So like, she has about two or three, and they're all in Cantonese. Exactly. So, so it would make even more sense to have an well, Asian Well, at actor, the time, but. so Gail Sondergaard played her. At the time, she was an Academy Award winner. Um, and she had been, she was pretty, you know, pretty famous. Um, so I would say, and she, you know, she was featured in the trailer as Ming in the movie. So I think that she was probably just there for some additional star power. And it is the kind of role that I think you'd see actors take nowadays, where they only have to show up a couple days, but they can, you know, they can maybe get a supporting actor nom. Uh, Might I say that she won her second Oscar. (sighs) She won her second Oscar for a film titled 
Anna, oh, excuse me, she got nominated for a second Oscar for a movie titled Anna and the King of Siam. She played the a king character and I. Named, yeah, it's, that's, it's the king and I. Yeah, the king and I. Yeah, and she played uh, Lady Thing, who I assume is the wife, right? Isn't that it? I don't know. I've I've actually never seen. The he King has of multiple wives. I don't know. I've only seen, I've only seen the animated version with dragons and stuff. So I don't I don't think I've seen. Rex Harrison played the king in this version. <laughs> but it's okay, I have to. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Go ahead. No, no, you go, sir. Um, I think that it goes beyond just, you know, her obviously like her skin tone and how you know her eyes or whatever. Um. She moves with these like ballet type movements, which is obviously kind of a stereotype for, um, you know, these Asian women. They have to be these little dolls. Um, they describe how she's like repulsive in the sense of like she wears all these gold chains and um, which is another thing, you know, they portray her as being greedy. Um, and I think that's kind of just kind of an interesting thing because, you know, obviously, we need you know, the Hays Code demanded that Leslie get her comeuppance but I don't I mean for the most part like I feel like everybody is a villain here when that shouldn't necessarily be the case uh, I mean obviously like the lawyer is not yeah. necessarily but um and you know her husband um they were going to potentially do reshoots to make her more sympathetic and then Betty Davis said that it would ruin her performance and she didn't want to do it and she cried about it and William Wyler agreed with her, so they didn't. Um, so, I don't know. It's just, I don't know if making her more sympathetic would be a good thing. Personally, I think the Asian characters probably would have been better to see more sympathy, but whatever. I think I think there is enough here on paper that you could make this movie and make it where all the Asian characters are sympathetic. And that... This is really a story about a woman of wealth and uh, a certain amount of class and racial power who is able to dodge everything until she isn't. And I think you can see that like she even in this talks about how her her stay in prison is nice and pleasant and it's a good time for her to catch up on her lacing Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. Um, And of course, she gets off. uh, She gets off with murder. But the way these characters are portrayed uh, from the music to the physical performances to their costumes. Um, all of them are embodying very dehumanizing stereotypes. Yes. Ong is, Ong is like the sneaky uh, person you can't trust. Um, Chunky is like the drunken person on opium um, who's just kind of bumbling around. And then Mrs. Hammond is just completely inhuman. My roommate our editor, Joe, walked in during that scene, and he's like, I half expected her to just disappear in a cloud of smoke. (laughs) It's just, it is very interesting that it's like, it almost becomes a racial commentary, but it's like, because of, you know, I guess the time period, not that it's excusable, obviously, but just the time period kind of demanded that these Asian characters be portrayed in this, like, evil way, and it's like, it's, it's like almost saying she has this white privilege and she can she gets away with so much stuff but it just doesn't work it's it's hard to do commentary on white privilege or anything when you have people in yellow yeah. face yeah to be very blunt about it 
Well, and when it's a bunch of white privileged people making the movie, yeah. making yes. the movie, yeah. you're, you're right. You're, you're correct. Yeah. You're correct. Um, can I bring up uh, interest? Sorry, I was listening to all that, but I also was looking at Gail Sondergaard's Wikipedia page. If you guys haven't, I don't know if you have. Have you guys? A little bit, yeah. I uh, the only thing I know about her is that she was the original casting for the Wicked Witch in Wizard of Oz. I will, Sarah, if you know this, please don't answer. Uh, if you do, you can guess. Uh, she had a credit in a movie in 1949 called East Side, West Side. Her next acting credit is in 1969 for a movie called Slaves, where she just plays a lady and a a, a, a guest star on the show. It takes a thief. Can you guess why her career stalled for 20 years? That's actually a very big historical reason. What was the last before? Oh, before I do 1969? know. 1949. Was she a communist? Her husband, her husband was. was, right? Yes. He was yes. one of the Hollywood 10. Yes. So her mm. career completely evaporated then, which um, I, don't, I I think this is, that's interesting. Like, oh, okay. that to me is more interesting than anything else on her Wikipedia page is, uh, I mean, I feel bad for her in that case, um, of course. But yeah, apparently uh, Greta Snatchy Sketchy played her in a movie. Uh, with Jeff Goldblum playing her husband in uh, 2000. Um, I don't know. I just thought that was interesting. I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. It'll be very interesting when we get to the, uh, when we get to, like, who and stuff and we start seeing which of our kind of recurring uh, actors yeah, start to disappear. Um, yeah, she just disappeared after 1949. What a shame. Well, she's actually, she's not the only actor who kind of disappeared for better or worse after this movie um the our other nominee uh james stephenson or stevenson um he ended up dying just a few months after the movie came out oh that's sad he was, he was considered to be like in the height of his career like he was projected to potentially win an oscar someday like he was really just kind of starting out um but he died suddenly so, that's crazy because it said it said that like people they didn't want him cast, uh, but William Wyler fought for him even though he was unknown. That's that's really sad actually. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. This is definitely the kind of performance you can see where it's like this is good, but I can imagine it will you'd yeah. get better as time went on. Uh, yeah. It reminds me of a yeah. I wanted to look at this. This is what I was thinking. Oh, not the same sense, because he'd done movies for a while, but I was thinking kind of Peter Finchy, in a sense. Uh, but Peter Finchy's career actually is quite long. It's just that he did a lot of small movies before he broke out, obviously, and died right after he really broke out. Um, but yeah. Oh, you know what? That's not fair at all. I'm sorry. He's not like Peter Finch at all. Peter Finch was nominated for an Oscar before Network. I didn't realize that. Um, maybe we'll cover that movie someday. I don't know. I've never seen a Peter Finch movie that isn't Network. That's it, whatever. Network's good, but let's talk about this. I'm oh, sorry. I don't think we're going to cover it. Yeah, I'm we'll pretty sure to... it won Oscars. <laughs> no, I meant the movie that he the movie he was nominated for that wasn't Network. That's what I was referring to. <laughs> Obviously, Network won the Oscar. Sorry. <laughs> Anyways, go ahead, Caleb. Do y'all have anything to say about the courtroom scene? Nice wigs. It's pretty short. Nice wig. Yeah. I have uh, one very I like small... Stevenson's acting in it. One very small thing, and that is that it took everybody a very long time 
to leave the courtroom. And I don't know why we needed to see everybody shuffle out. <laughs> I thought it had very good cinematography. I liked some of the shots in this sequence. I mean, the whole movie is shot well, but that scene really stood out to me. It's like, oh, this looks nice. So, Betty, yeah, so Leslie gets off, and um, as she's leaving the courtroom, she sees Mrs. Hammond and is like, oh, no, she's still out there. That's that's not good for me. And then she's getting drinks with her husband and uh, and uh, the lawyer, and that's when the husband finds out that they spent $10,000 on the letter. He finds out because he's like, I want to move away from this place. I found a nice place for a cheap... Does he say $10,000? It's. It, I think it is 10000 Yeah, I think... I think it's a little bit more about 10000 the down payment or something like that. Anyway, the husband is like, well, if you spent this much money, I deserve to know. And we basically get Betty Davis's second big monologue where she tells the truth and it's like, I never loved you. I love this guy. And the fact that he left me for this, uh, you know, she says some racist stuff about Mrs. Hammond and it's like, this made me mad. And I, when he was going to leave me, I just couldn't help but shoot him. Good job, buddy. We hate you now. You were so cool, then it turned out you were racist. Canceling Leslie. That's a very 2021 thing to say. Hayes Cole was right, just not for the right reasons. <laughs> she deserves to be canceled after that. <laughs> Can I just say at this point, this is a good point time to mention that uh, Leslie was nominated in 2003's AFI's 100 Heroes and 100 Villains for being a villain. Yeah, she is a villain. Yeah. I think, I mean, I would agree. I'm just surprised that they view it that way. Well, that's, you know what I that's mean? kind of what like, I was saying, is like, I, I don't know, like, I don't know, because, like, I mean, we forgot the big thing with the letter scene, is that um, Mrs. Hammond makes her pick up the letter from the ground. She makes her kneel down in front of her, she drops the letter on the on the ground, and Leslie has to pick it up. And, I mean, like I said before, how, like, they wanted to make her more sympathetic. And, you know, Betty Davis refused. And just, like, it feels weird. Like, we think of her as a villain. I'm not entirely sure that the movie 100% wanted to make her the villain. Yeah, it wants to be sympathetic, which I get. When Betty Davis leaves that house and shoots the guy, I'll be honest, I was totally yeah. on her side. I knew... I knew that she was lying, but I'm like, she's cool. I'm going to root for her. It, but then, of course, as the movie goes on, I'm like, oh, I can't root for her. Um, but I would I would be curious what um, people's reactions at the time were. Yeah. I'm actually curious about something. Well, you know, keep going on. I'm looking up something about the DVD I had. They have a big party um, to celebrate her getting off and um, it kind of comes to a head with her and her husband their tension in their relationship rockets up she's like I never loved you I still love the man I shot and uh, then she goes outside and she is cornered by Mrs. Hammond and um, I don't remember if the character has a name but another character who has popped up from time to time with Mrs. Hammond and um, they stab her and then walk away and the movie ends with the moonlight showing on her body the moonlight has been a motif about kind of the truth of what she's hiding and so 
It ends with the moonlight shining on her body. And this is, of course, the Hayes' codes coming in and being like, mm, her being in a loveless marriage with her husband, who is now financially destitute, is not enough. We need to have Die. her dead. Which, to be fair, by that point in the movie, I'm like, yes, kill her. I See, this is what I'm looking at, is that my DVD had an alternate ending that I really wanted to watch. And then I clicked it, and then I saw it was 10 minutes long. I was like, okay, no. No, I, I don't got I don't got ten minutes of my time to watch an alternate ending right now, um, but I'm really curious what this alternate ending was, um, and I keep googling it and it just says well it's nine minutes long so no one no one summed it up really you know it's kind of long. Uh, it basically the thing I found is that it basically is the current ending, but it gets rid of her teary like confessional like speech in the last ten minutes. That might be more for her husband's benefit. Than for her. I mean, it might be more like audiences want to see him, you know, not be let down in that way. But obviously, obviously, it didn't happen. Um, I do want to point out uh, this was based on a real case uh, where uh, the circumstances were pretty similar. Um, Her name was Ethel Proudlock. Uh, She lived in in a territory um, and, uh, yeah, she, she claimed that she was going to be sexually assaulted. Uh, she shot the guy. Um, they said that she was guilty, um, but then she got acquitted. Um, so, and there was a lot of petitions asking that she be pardoned, probably because she was a, you know, a white school teacher. Um, but she had, you know, a relatively happy ending. So it is interesting. Yeah, they made a movie about her. Yeah. Well, they got nominated for a. Yeah, well, um, several movies and a play and novels, and it was a big case. So. All right. Um, do we have anything else we want to say about the movie? I'm, I don't know. I didn't feel like this movie had a lot to say about it, even though I liked, I liked it for the most part outside of the ending. I got bored at the end, but yeah. Yeah. It's pretty, it's very straightforward. It's very straightforward. There's a there's apparently a 1929 version, and Herbert Marshall appears in that as the man who gets killed. So that's that's interesting. Herb, I guess. I don't know. I like the movie. Um, acknowledging the racism in it is important, and that definitely holds the movie back from being um, better than it could be. But um, even with that, I found. Uh, a lot to enjoy here, especially with Betty Davis's performance and with um, how the movie is put together from a from a cinematic perspective. And this was uh, I know I don't know how many times Betty Davis and William Wyler had collaborated. Um, they did have an affair, um, and she got pregnant shortly before production began and decided to terminate. This one, yeah, and decided to terminate Ooh, okay. the pregnancy. Because he was married at the time. So she didn't want any controversy with that. So Interesting. Yeah. Alright. So. This got nominated for seven Oscars. Sarah. What were they? Yes. Repeat. They were. Best Picture. Best Director for William Wyler. Best Actress for Betty Davis. Best Supporting Actor for James Stevenson. Best Cinematography Black and White for Tony Gaudio. Uh, best editing for Warren Lowe and best original score for Max Steiner. All right. 
I will say my second place, which I'm not going to give it to, but I was very close on is cinematography. I think this looks very good, very clean, a lot of gorgeous shots here. But I'm giving it to James Stevenson, which I was going to do before I heard he died after this. But now that I've heard he died after this, I definitely want to give it to him um, because I thought it was a very good performance. And as Caleb said, it's definitely something we could see him going somewhere more. But the thing is, is like he carries the middle portion of this movie and a lot of the first like mm-hmm. 20 minutes too. Like he carries a lot of it. If Betty Davis isn't on screen, he's the one doing it all. And he does a very good job matching her. So I go with him. James Stevenson, supporting actor. Like you mentioned, the like you mentioned, the courtroom scene is a really good opportunity for him to do um, some very subtle acting, which I like yeah. a lot. Well, subtle for the time, I think. Uh, uh, subtle yeah, for yeah. the time. Because <laughs> I was going to say, actually, in that scene, I'm like, this is good acting for now. But if this was in a movie today, it'd be like, all right, you're laying on a big, thick, thick buddy. But yes, for the time, it's subtle. Yeah. I think I want to say score. I thought the score was good. I think I am a big fan of like, as long as it's not repetitive, I'm a big fan of motifs. And I think that it did a good job of having that repeating, you know, sweeping score. Um, it was good. I liked it. Editing and cinematography. Um, are two that I kind of bounce back and forth between. But I think uh, at the end of the day, I have to give this to Betty Davis or Bette Midler, one of the two. Y'all decide. Nice. All right, then we have to add a nomination. Mm, this is going to be tough. Yeah, it is. I'm, I'm trying to figure it out now myself. I'm like, oh, you know what? I actually know what I'm getting. But I know what I'm doing. Last. Okay, well, unfortunately... Caleb has to go first. <laughs> <Yeah>. so, <laughs> come on, Caleb, figure it out. Best dance direction. No, uh, I'll probably go production design. That's this is good, a very yeah. nice looking movie. Lots of cool sets going on. Um, it's not the standout of the technical awards it could get, but, you know, most of those it got nominated for. So, uh, Nice. Sarah? Um, this might be an unconventional choice. But I'm going to say um, best supporting for Sen Young, who played Ong Chi Sang. Uh, I thought it was really good. I honestly, like, yes, his you know his character was a little bit questionable, but in the courtroom scene, he has some really really great reactions. Um, he he played a good like secondary villain, quote unquote. Um, I thought he had some really, and he just played like he had that nice like pleasant persona when he was kind of secretly a little bit devious which is good and he he was a very he was a very prolific actor um and acted up until his death i believe uh, i know him from bonanza where he plays another <laughs> questionable asian character hop Singh. but um yeah I, he he's one of those he was in charlie chan movies yeah too. he's one of those people who if you watch older movies or TV, you've probably seen him. Yeah, I'm not like he was actually on my like he's an option type of thing, but I'm going with best costume design. Actually, I thought the costumes here were very nice. Her shawl at one point is really good. Uh, I, I just thought it was good costuming, you know, all around. looked Everyone looked nice. Um, but yeah, that's that's where that's where I fell. All right, it's. That is the letter. So, in two weeks, we will talk about a certain film. Film that has a certain number of Oscar noms. With no wins. You know, can I just say, Danny, I would... 
after watching this, I'm just really in the mood for another William Wyler film, possibly even one with Betty Davis. Well, might I tell Too bad that's not going to happen. Darn. At the 14th Academy Awards, there was a film that got nine nominations and no wins. It is called, oh my God, it's, it's William Wyler directing Betty Davis and the, in the little foxes. What? What? Great Scott. Herbert Marshall's back too. This is like the letter wow. two. <laughs> wow. So we'll, we'll be watching Little Foxes next time. Um. So yeah, come back then. I'm Danny Vincent. <laughs> uh, you can find me on Letterboxd at Blankments. You can also listen to my other podcast, Wise with Ty and Dan, where Sarah and Caleb have been guesting on it recently. Sarah was in Spider-Man 2. By the time this episode's out... I wasn't in Spider-Man 2. I was in the episode for Spider-Man 2. (laughs) Caleb will be on to talk about Chloe Zhao films and Spider-Man 3. And might we tell you, Caleb, because I'm pretty sure you haven't listened to the episode yet, we talk about you a bit in our Spider-Man 2 episode, too. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> Talk about your Spider-Man three Listen. takes before even get to talking about <laughs> Spider-Man three. Yeah, you don't know my Spider-Man three takes yet. I haven't even said them. <laughs> Maybe not on record. You've told me in person before. <laughs> but yeah, um, check that out if you want to hear more of these guys along with just me talking about movies that came out in the two thousands instead of in the nineteen forties. Um, but yeah, that's me. I am Caleb Bunn. You can find me at Caleb from the Real World on Instagram and YouTube. Um, And you can check out my litany of other podcasts, Hot Trash Unlimited, Star Wars Therapy, and the all-new 52. Thank you to our editor, Joe, uh, for editing this episode. Thanks, Joe. Um, And you can find me on my letterbox, just my name, Sarah Knopf. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, at SGK29, E-S-S-G-E-E-K-A-Y 29. Um, and also, uh, I just finished finally making my website. So you can find my website at sarahkanoff.art, A-R-T. Uh, yeah, check it out. Oh, and and Sarah, find- you know what? Oh, sorry. Well, I was going to say, this episode <laughs> comes out November 1st. Yes. Which means you'll be done. Oh. With October. Yes. Done. which means I don't need to plug my October thing, so I'm not going to. Oh, okay, <laughs> whatever. You can go back. You can go Let's back. See. That's what I was gonna say. <laughs> I was gonna say you're done. The project's done. You can read all the reviews. That's yeah, all. Yeah, sure. Gee, I wasn't. I wasn't trying to be mean. <laughs> whatever. You can also find us, the Snow Club, uh, on Facebook. Uh, just the Snow Club. Instagram is Snow Club Podcast, and Twitter is Snow Club Pod. All right. We'll see you in two weeks with the little foxes. Meow. Bye. Bye.